Thanks for checking out the Brad and John Show podcast. This segment of the show is brought to you by John Combest's book, Stalking, Harassment, Internet Trolling, A Guide to Recovering and Rebuilding After Online Attacks. It's a great reference if you've ever been the unfortunate target of a social media attack. It's available on Amazon. Just search John Combest. That's C-O-M-B-E-S-T. John Combest, and the book will show up in your search results. Now it's time for another segment of the Brad and John Show. Can you handle it? It's me, Egbert, once again. I'm the new owner of this station. I went out and hired the best talk radio consultant, Jeff Allen from News Talk STL, and told him to hire the worst talent he could find. Jeff did exactly as I told him. Ladies and gentlemen, here are Brad and John. That guy is still beating up us on us. Beating up us on. Let me try that again. Beating up on us. It's Monday. I can't talk. Well, he's he heard that we were considering this job from St. Louis Public Radio, where we could where we could read a couple <laughs> minutes of news every day. And now, but you the, don't check enough diversity boxes, Brad. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm an old white guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm not. I'm I'm what what I I got it in the other studio. I'm a coffee mocha or mocha java. That's what I'm a mocha java. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Hey, you know what I say? Just ask Sherwin Williams. <laughs> okay, now just ask Sherwin Williams. Let me see if I can find this. I didn't do my homework. I had to go in the study other studio and do something real quick. Doctor, I'm gonna time she can find this real quick. Doctor who. Uh, disproved ulcer theory. There you go. Disproved. Because I can't remember the guy's name. He's still alive. And see, I always thought when I hear ulcers, I think stress. I do think spicy food, but I also think alcohol. No. Nope. Like, was that was that also supposed to be a well, contributor? Yeah, that was um, Barry Marshall. Okay. Here he okay. is. Uh, matter of fact, there's all sorts of articles about him. Barry Marshall. Um, and essentially, uh, da, 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 yeah. matter of fact, here's a here's a here's a NPR article from 2005. Oh, Here wow. we go. Uh, and oh, this is interesting. I forgot about this. Uh, the guy's name is. For decades, it was believed that stress and poor eating habits caused ulcers. Now, the Nobel Prize for Medicine has gone to the researchers who proved that ulcers are caused by a bacterium. What else do we know that isn't really so? And this wow, is this interesting. Is, this is Scott Simon. Uh, you know Scott Simon. Like millions of other people, my father had an ulcer. In fact, he was considered a textbook case. My father was told he had to expect to have an ulcer because he had so much stress. He suffered stress from his divorce and stress from drinking. He had stress from his work and even more stress from not working. He had stress because he couldn't sleep because of his ulcer. And he had an ulcer because he had stress. He would stay <laughs> up until the wee hours watching old Japanese science fiction films on Channel 9, holding his stomach and going, oh, my father packed his pockets with smoke small white tablets, I think they were called amphetogels, he'd pop compulsively. Okay, long story made, uh, and here we go down. Ulcers caused a lot of people a pain, a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of pain. This week, doctors Barry Marshall and Robin Warren of Australia won the Nobel Prize in medicine for establishing that ulcers are caused by bacteria, not stress. Antibiotics can now banish most ulcers within a few weeks. The doctors remembered this week that other scientists were dismissive when they began their research in the early 1980s. People said, don't waste your time. Everybody knows that stress causes ulcers. Dr. Marshall told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, it was like saying the earth is round. In 1984, Dr. Marshall mixed himself. This is the thing. This is the bizarre thing. Everybody said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. Let me read this paragraph now. In 1984, Dr. Marshall mixed himself a noxious cocktail containing ulcer bacteria to prove their theory. And where did he get the ulcer bacteria? He got it from one of his patients. He, oh, that's disgusting. He took it out of one of his patient's stomach and drank it. I swear this is a true story. I'm not making this up. 
He says it didn't seem right to inflict the violent symptoms of an ulcer, which are too messy to recount here, on graduate students who are often volunteers in medical experiments because the idea that ulcers were caused by bacteria seems so wild. But doctors Warren and Marshall turned out to be so right, they made their own specialty almost antique. You can't study ulcers in Australia anymore, says Dr. Warren, because everyone who has one has been cured. This, to me, wow. and, and see, once again, remember, Dr. Fauci, you have to trust the science. You have to trust the science. Yeah, yeah. The science was that if you were Rock Hudson or, you know, or you were, like, for example, you know, uh, Scott Simon's father, who had a stressful job, had a stressful life, had a stressful divorce, had stressful kids. Oh, that's why he's got an ulcer. It's this stupid bacteria. And that's yeah. why, that's why to the point where if for the most part, and I'm not, I should call my doctor, Dr. Weikert, who would be great to go on here, but I won't bother him this time of the morning. If I would call him right now, he would tell me that, just like it says in the article, if you, they diagnose you with ulcers, he gets your prescription, couple, two, three weeks, gone. You know? I mean, it's gone. That's amazing, yeah. But uh, but think of how many things in life that we just take for granted because it was conventional wisdom and we never question well, it. Well, but the problem is, and this is what bothers me, is the problem is that most of us, I don't want to say are lemmings, but... We're well, we are. We're, We're sheep, right? Right. We, you know, matter of fact, one of my old bosses used to talk about how, as a radio station, we have to learn how to herd the sheep. And the yeah. idea being was that it was our job to essentially, hey, don't you think Olivia Newton-John's great? Yeah, she's great. You know, and be like, oh, yeah, I love Olivia Newton-John. Even though her songs were atrocious. <laughs> well, you Even say, though her music was, was an atrocity, it was a crime against humanity. I liked Olivia Newton-John, to tell you the truth. I like to look at her. I mean, it, <laughs> she's like a lot, well, anyway, I would watch her on mute. You know what I'm saying? Did, you really didn't like her songs? No. What was, what was her main song that she sang? Well, she had a bunch of them. Probably the ones that everybody remember her when she was doing the duets with with uh, John Travolta from. Well, Greece. yeah, but I mean, beyond Greece, she had a couple songs that I just thought weren't very good. She had physical, right? Yeah. Well, that was the one that brought in the uh, the uh, with the leg warmers and what is it? The oh, mo- yeah. Now, now, truth be told, I liked both that song and that video. That's one of the first songs I remember. Well, but see, once again, and she, it's funny we bring that one up because she herded the sheep. When yeah. when when Olivia Newton John did the physical thing, what happened to gyms? Women showed up. You know, hey, I mean, I'm not saying Vic that Tanny, women. Vic Tanny went through the roof. Right. I'm not saying women weren't there to begin with, but more women showed up at gyms. And what did they show up? They showed up in the leg warmers. Wasn't it? Didn't she have the headband? Wasn't the deal? Yeah, now, she doesn't have a headband. Let me look at that real quick. Let me look at the, the physical. I mean, she was. She's a well. She's she was a little. She's a little thin for my taste. But, you know, she was still a good-looking woman. When we go back to, Brad, when you go back to the Fauci example, though, I think a lot of it is just when we talk about sheeps or lemmings, if if you're in that category, think of the men that you know that get led around by their wife or their girlfriend or whoever, it absolves them of all decision-making responsibility. So if you just say, hey, trust the science, that means that all you have to do is listen to Fauci and you don't have to take any responsibility for your own decisions. But see, the problem nowadays is if there was ever a time when you and I have untold knowledge available at our fingertips via yeah. our laptop, our desktop, our, you know, smartphone. Yeah, there she is. She's got the she's got the uh, she's got the headband on and oh, I didn't you know, I didn't realize this the, the video starts out with a dude. 
Do you know yeah, this? Yeah, I know. Like, oh, oh. Now, oh you know what? God. That would never work today. Shocking. Guys like you and I would see the first few seconds, and we would click away, and we didn't know that Olivia would be coming. You see what I'm saying? Oh, this is all guys. One it shows yeah, a guy on, I, on one of those one of those machines that you know that vibrates you, and the guy's butt cheeks are bouncing around. That's disgusting. <laughs> that's appalling. Oh my god! I don't. I forgot about this. Yeah, I, that's one of the first videos I, re, I ever remember seeing. Ah, boy, and boy, she is an attractive woman. Okay, yeah, so, boy, she was. Well, wasn't, well, wasn't she? Okay, going back to what you said is is the thing with like Fauci. And once again, Agnes, I'm sorry. I don't mean. I don't, <laughs> she's the smartest woman in the world. She's the smartest woman in the world, and she is like the number one Dr. Fauci, you know, fan club member. Okay, and. Once again, I'm thinking to myself, I don't, you know, I mean, if if you follow, and she would get so mad at me, well, going back to the, the BS.show days, because if you remember this, in, July, in January of, not, of 2020, in January of 2020, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes. I can't remember the guy who interviewed him. And what did he say on 60 Minutes? You know what I'm talking about? I, yeah, I don't remember that interview. So that was immediately pre-quote pandemic, right? That was That was when things were getting funky, you know, because... Yeah, and when strange symptoms and everything, in right. the West Coast especially. Go ahead. December of 2019 is when things started going. People go, oh, we may have a problem yeah. here. Yeah. You know, we, there's, there's, there's this virus coming, and, and it's nasty. He was on 60 Minutes, and not once but twice, he said that masks don't work. They don't. Matter of fact, if I were in the other studio, I could hit two buttons and I could play the one. And it was funny because Agnes would get so mad every time. I can't believe you keep playing that. You're making fun of Dr. Fauci. I go, this is what he said. Yeah. This is now, this. Wouldn't, wouldn't an Agnes, I guess Agnes's argument would be that the data changed and, you know, leaders change based on new data. Well, is that her point or not? I remember reading an interesting article. And the article was if you're going to pick a doctor, who do you pick? Do you pick a seasoned doctor who's been practicing for 20 or 30 years, or do you pick a young doctor who's a year or two out of medical school or out of the residency? In other words, they're done with their education. They're officially a full-blown MD, mm-hmm. and they go out and, sh- and hang their shingle anywhere. Which one do you, pr- do you choose? Which one would you choose? A seasoned medical pro who's been doing it for 20 or 30 years or a, new- a newbie who's you know, essentially— I would pick the seasoned pro. And they said that's wrong every so time. So you should pick the person that has— that's more recent and has new ideas about whatever. Exactly, and they have, because of con- because the old doctor has confirmation bias. Right, and they have they have all the new the new cures and all the new procedures mm-hmm. and all the new medicine. newest teach and they went through in medical school. They went through the newest theories of right. medicine or whatever. Right, and and you, and and I know that's sort of counterintuitive because you go like you know if you're gonna if you gotta do plumbing you know do you want your brother-in-law who has a has a you know who torch? just watched a YouTube video <laughs> <Right>. on it <laughs> or do you want some guy who's been sweating pipes for thirty years? You yeah. want the guy who's sweating pipes, but Maybe not. Maybe your brother-in-law is really good at. Maybe he's practiced really well with his Burnsomatic uh, map torch in, in his basement. Hey, I can solder real well. Let me sweat those yeah. joints for you. But see, that's the interesting thing. And the thing about it is, is that that when you get into, I mean, sometimes I find this fascinating that when you get into an industry, and and everybody is, I mean, like perfect example. The, let's use the car industry. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. Elon Musk. Okay. If you go, you can go back and you can find this on YouTube. God, I love YouTube. You can find the day that Elon Musk showed up at Wall Street 
with his with his uh, and if you know the whole story with with uh, with uh, Elon Musk, the original Tesla cars he built were the Tesla Roadsters, which were like little two seater sports cars. And there's a video of him standing outside on Wall Street, New York City, being interviewed by a woman. And I don't know if she was with CNBC or where she was. She's one of the business channels. And she can start to tell she's being a little bit like, yeah, right. Who is this guy? Electric cars. Yeah, that's not going to work. We like big V8s. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And he's a disruptor. And he's came, he's come and he's disrupted the autom- automotive industry. Now, the problem is, if you followed this recently, I heard this over the weekend. If you look at the, uh, you're, you're a big stock guy, okay? All mm-hmm. the all the, the, the Q4 stuff's coming out right now, right? All the, yeah. the year-end, uh, the year-end uh, earnings yep. reports and stuff like that. Okay, did you hear Ford how much money they lost on EVs? Yeah. It yeah. was like five. And... and- and by the way, and I saw this this morning too. Another EV maker has gone bankrupt. A company called Arrival. You're probably yes. familiar with. Oh that. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well. Ford, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Ford has lost like five billion dollars on EVs now. And the crazy part of this is, the crazy part of this is that to this day, if you go buy one of the Ford Lightning pickup trucks, which is the F-150 truck and it's all electric, they lose between thirty and forty thousand dollars. Every one they sell. So that yeah, would be it's like incredible. That would be like you being in the cookie business and going to buy all the ingredients, and it, you figure out, okay, each cookie cost me two dollars, and you sell them for a dollar. Pretty soon, you're going to go like, you know, I don't know if I can sustain this very yeah. much longer. Yeah. And not only that, the interesting thing is that all the EV manufacturers who are getting grief because they said this, and and we're talking the big three, you know, uh, Chrysler or whatever this, Stellantis, Stellantis, yeah. Stellantis um, um, and GM and Ford are all reevaluating their plans for the future. And meaning that they're going like, eh, maybe we're not going to go whole hog into this EV thing. Now, the crazy part of this is, as opposed to states like California, didn't Maine just do this essentially where they said all cars and in, yep, in yep. Maine have to be... Even- you have to have... go. I don't mean to jump your story here, but you have to have government intervention here or else it doesn't make sense. Right. There's an interesting story I read just the other day about... I can't remember what city it is. I should take better notes on this. What city was, and they were deciding, we're going to go electric with our buses. And they bought six of these electric buses. And six of the electric buses sitting in their shop now because the company that built them went out of business. They can't get parts anymore. And yeah. <laughs> the maintenance costs, and these are relatively new buses, the maintenance costs are through the ceiling. And they, they can't even afford to run them anymore because they're broke. They can't get the parts. And even if they could get the parts, they're going like, uh, maybe we should just cut our losses and just junk the things and, and buy new ones. Remember for a while, who was the, who was the person in the Department of Defense who was saying, uh, or some of the, one of the congressmen, was it, was it Claire McCaskill that said this when she's still in? Or she made the comment about that we need electric tanks? <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember, remember this? And, yeah. And, and why not? Well, and why not? And people are thinking, I mean, anybody who's been in the military, if my dad were still alive, my dad would just fall off his chair, you know, because of the fact yeah, yeah. that the whole what? logistics of that is like, Okay, so let's take World War II for an example. As we're charging through, as we land on on Omaha Beach, and we're essentially, you know, heading toward Germany through France, and we've got the Germans on the run. Hey, hold on a minute. We gotta take the tanks we gotta back. Charge. We, gotta we gotta charge, charge the that. tanks. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's to the well, point. What I love is, and for example, and I, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it was news in Missouri two or three weeks ago, is that the EPA has granted some Missouri school districts elect, uh, electric buses, and they cost 
almost four hundred thousand dollars. They're super expensive, and hey. the and the charging stations are covered by the grants. But if I recall, they're somewhere between like ten grand and thirty grand for a charging station. Right. Okay. I'll give you one that I heard the other day. And once again, I should take notes on this because I hear all this kind of stuff, and I thought oh, that's an interesting fact. There's been a study that comes out that came out that studied the guardrails on our highway. And the guardrails are designed to withstand the impact of an average size vehicle. They're saying that since the 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 uh, electric vehicles way more because they have a big old mass, mass massive battery and since their center of gravity is so much lower because the majority of the weight is underneath the car because that's where the battery pack are is that the guardrails are not substantial enough for EVs hitting them. And oh, you, no. And you're going like, okay, here we go, the law of unintended consequences. Let's say it's 10 years from now and everybody's driving electric vehicles, which is not going to happen. But let's say, it, it was, for theory, that it happened. The, the states would go like, federal, we need money to replace our That's exactly it. You know what? It sounds like there should be another federal payment program to the states. That's right, what it sounds right. like to me, Brad. Right. Okay. Here's, you know, and, and here we have John, uh, Josh Hawley saying, we, you know, we need the government to provide money for new guardrails in the interstate. I'm going like, okay, whatever. There's a yeah, guy, there's yeah. a guy on, I mean, all this weird stuff that I pick up, my mind's full of mush and <laughs> and things that don't make anything. There's a guy who is on YouTube and he does quite a bit of this. And the backstory is his daughter was killed in a car accident where she hit a guardrail that was improperly installed. If you know the whole thing, there's a whole theory on back in the day, they used to bury the guardrails. So it was like a ramp. And the problem was they figured out. And like, for example, my dad was a civil engineer and my dad was against this because at the time he was the civil engineer for the uh, SIU Uttersville. And I worked for the police department and there were a couple of the police departments, uh, cops who were like, we need buried, we, do, we need, we need buried guardrails. Well, the problem with that was that they started burying the guardrails and it turned out that caused more fatalities because people would run off the highway and they would hit the buried guardrail and they would launch into the air oh. and, and essentially, you know, they would like, let's say hit another car or the car would, you know, go airborne, like, you know, like a, a daredevil kind of car and would usually flip over. And, you know, the people were killed by the impact. If you see what they do in the interstates now, they have these crash absorbing ends of the guardrail. And what's interesting is the way they're built is when you hit that guardrail, and you see after the hit, hit, what it does is it rapidly decelerates the vehicle, but it stops the vehicles. In other words, the vehicle isn't flying through the air and hitting other cars and ejecting people out of the cars and stuff like that. Well, anyway, this guy drives around the country, and he inspects guardrails and shows you how most of them are improperly installed. Wow. And, and he, he has a video, now shoot, see this bolt right here, this bolt's wrong, and this should be backwards. And this, I'm going like, holy cow. I mean, you know, once again, here we go again. They install these expensive guardrail systems, these energy-absorbing guardrail systems, and they install them wrong. It's yeah. Like, it's like, it, it almost sounds almost as captivating as the guy that goes to Six Flags and checks out the welds, Brad, that you taught us about. I told you that story. <laughs> That's a great story. Only nerds like, I haven't watched any of them. Only nerds like me appreciate crap like that. I'm telling you. Okay. We have to, we have to move on. You know, people are going to wonder, what's this show about? You know what I'm saying? Hey, it's like you and Shelly always said about your show. It's about nothing. Hey, at least we have structure here, though, Brad. Yeah, but John. We start with, and that's not a knock against the BS show. But we know that every morning we're gonna stop. We're gonna start with three Missouri stories. You know, that's some structure. John, sometimes I feel like I've, I'm I'm ruining you. I really feel like I'm I'm like <laughs> I'm like I'm like the guy who says, "Hey, John, come over here. Look what I got. Ooh, these little things you can smoke. They'll make yeah, you feel good." Hey, the, the first <laughs> the first radio show is free, and then after. 
after that, you know, I'm going to have right. to, yeah. I'm gonna charge you an hour a day. Right. Then I got to pay. You got to pay me. Thanks for checking out the Brad and John Show podcast. This segment of the show is brought to you by John Combest's book, Stalking, Harassment, Internet Trolling, A Guide to Recovering and Rebuilding After Online Attacks. It's a great reference if you've ever been the unfortunate target of a social media attack. It's available on Amazon. Just search John Combest. That's C-O-M-B-E-S-T. John Combest, and the book will show up in your search results. Now it's time for another segment of the Brad and John Show. Can you handle it? 